The following audio is brought to you by New England Urban Church Planting and was recorded at the 2021 Fall Vision Trip held in Providence, Rhode Island. My name is Tyler St. Clair. Um, It is my pleasure to be here. Um, My goal is to answer the question, why preaching Christ crucified isn't out of step with the needs in the inner city? Why preaching uh, Christ crucified? Why um, a Christ-centered message and uh, methodology isn't out of step with the needs of the inner city? My text is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can flip there, open up there. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, for you people who went to Sunday school like me, well, I didn't pay attention. I was physically there, but I didn't pay attention when I was in Sunday school. Uh, you, you may have known that the Apostle Paul planted this church around uh, 52 AD. He spent about a year and a half church planting in Corinth. Um, again, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Uh, but, but, but unfortunately, like all relationships, uh, conflict happens. There was conflict between Paul and his spiritual children. And like many natural children, they rebelled against their father. They rebelled against the apostle Paul. There, there was false teaching and there was great sin in the church in Corinth. And the church had been corrupted. The church that Paul planted and watered had now drifted away from the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers and worldly philosophers had infiltrated the church and great sin occurred. So Paul is writing this letter to call his spiritual children home. He's calling them back to the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. So the context of chapter two is Paul is making a case for his legitimacy, his, his, his clout, his, his street cred, his, his OG pass had been called into question by the church, his credibility. Um, (laughs) his credibility had been called into question because other teachers had arose men with, with, with slick tongues, men with persuasive words, men with swagger. And they were looking at Paul at, as if, you know, he was less than, or not as gifted or, or so, so his message was losing some credibility because of his presentation In chapter one, Paul talks about how God uses the weak and the foolish things of this world to declare the glorious gospel. And he's saying, I am the embodiment of that. I, the the weakness that I am, the, the foolishness of the gospel. Paul says, I am the embodiment of that reality. He starts off with verse one. He says, when I came to you again, he's referencing his first visit during his second missionary journey. 
Then Paul actually gets a little introspective. He gets very personal. He talks about his ministry and his method and his message. He says, I didn't come with 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 uh, uh, words of wisdom, human wisdom or being winsome. No brilliance of speech, no persuasive words of wisdom. He takes it a step further. He says, I came to you in weakness. I came in fear and in trembling. Often we, we look at Paul as this larger than life figure. We, we look at Paul as if a, a, he's a mythical figure. I mean, he only wrote half the New Testament. But we look at him as if he was larger than life. But Paul, like each and every one of us, is a limit, was a limited man. But by God's grace and under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, he unpacked the mysteries of God. Dr. Warren Worsby said, Paul came as an ambassador of Christ, not a salesman. We'll get to that a little bit later. Paul's confidence wasn't in his delivery. His confidence wasn't in uh, putting the right words together. His confidence was in the ability of the Holy Spirit to work through his message and his weakness. Verse two, the first two is the key verse I want to key in on. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul is not saying that is literally the only thing he said. He's not, he's not saying that the only thing I mentioned was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But rather, he's saying that the, the redemptive work of Jesus, the cross, was the center of his message and everything else revolved around the cross of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel is not delivering witty words and clever phrases and something that's retweetable or something that uh, we could put on Instagram or TikTok, whatever. It's not putting the right human words together. That's not preaching the gospel. Biblical preaching is bearing witness to what God has done in Christ for our salvation and the restoration of all creation. That's what biblical preaching is. My brothers and sisters, the the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus is at the very heart of the gospel. Without the atoning death of Jesus, there is no gospel. The reality is a very, very good and gracious God created everything perfectly. After he made everything, he said, it is good. But mankind... And all of God's creation was corrupted by sin. Adam and Eve sinned and declared independence from their creator. And all of creation fell as a result. From that day, every human has been born in sin. And every human has chosen a life of sin, willfully sinning. And consequently has earned the judgment of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 52 says, like, like she, we all have gone astray. David in Psalm 51 says, we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Enter Jesus Christ. In order to pay sin, the, the, in order to pay the, the debt of sin and appease the wrath of God, the sinless lamb was slain for us. The son of God temporarily left the majesty of heaven, left the the worship of angels, put on a human body, lived sinlessly and died in our place to redeem and rescue us. 
The cross of Jesus means uh, it was the means for the sacrificial death of our Savior to reconcile God's creation back to him. And under the influence of the spirit, Paul boldly preached and proclaimed the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's zero in on this for a minute. Here's the question I want to answer. What does the urban context need? What does the urban context need? I have been in ministry since uh, 2001, 20 years. I've been doing ministry in Detroit. I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've earned every gray hair on this face. But what does the urban context really need? I believe there's two things, two things. Gospel rooted ministry, not mixed messages and Holy Spirit led humble men and women, not salesmen. Again, there, there is a message. There is a message that we have. We are centered on the gospel of Jesus. Everything flows from that. There is a message. And then there is a, 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 a character profile, spirit led, humble men and women, not salesmen. First, gospel rooted ministry. In verse two, Paul states that his conviction is to keep his ministry and his message centered on the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. This is incredibly crucial in places like uh, Corinth because there was no shortage of ideas, no shortage of philosophies, public speakers, teachers. In the Greco-Roman world, men and women who excelled in uh, rhetorical gifting and philosophy were popular and even idolized and worshipped. Paul had a different approach. Paul wasn't trying to be a philosopher. Paul wasn't trying to be an influencer. Paul was a herald or a messenger of the gospel. In this day, a herald was someone who came to deliver a message from someone else. A a herald or a messenger spoke under, under the authority of someone else and came to deliver a message. Paul wasn't attempting to sway people. He wasn't attempting to manipulate people. He wasn't attempting to gather an audience for himself. Paul, his aim was to be his, his aim was to be faithful to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we take a step back and we look at the landscape of Corinth, if we take a step back, we'll see that there's many striking similarities to the urban context today. Like Corinth 2000 years ago, my, my context in Detroit I was telling someone, I'm in Detroit, not around Detroit, not near Detroit. I'm in Detroit. There's some Christian framework. There's a lot of churches, stained glass buildings. But our city is wildly polytheistic and and under the influence of other cultures and under the influence of other religions and many schools of thought and sin is promoted and celebrated. In my city, like many other There is a lack of gospel-centered, discipleship-driven, multiplication-focused churches. They meet on Sundays. They have, have, quote-unquote, ministry. They do things. They feed the homeless. They, They do some nice things under the cloak of being nice Christians. But as my friend MSD always says, There's a spiritual poverty in the inner city along with the material one. 
There's a spiritual poverty in my city. Again, my city is one of the most violent, one of the most crime ridden. I'm not going to go into all the stats. My city has serious issues. My, my city is one of the darkest, but my city is also one of the cities that has the most churches per capita. You can't throw a rock and not hit a ministry, a church, an international ministry. I don't know how you're an international ministry in a storefront building, but that's none of my business. <laughs> but everybody has a worldwide international ministry. They're Christian-ish organizations, but no gospel declaration, not centered on Christ, centered on good works, centered on legalism, centered on fill in the blank, but not centered on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no life change. My city has some healthy churches, yes, but the darkness still persists and permeates the city of Detroit. Let me paint the picture a little clearer for you. Not just Detroit, but the, the urban city, the average place, the average uh, Chicago, Baltimore, Providence, uh, these places. We see high crime, extreme poverty, substance abuse, physical abuse, uh, low education rates, broken family structures, generations of poverty, generations of fatherlessness, injustice. Little access to healthy food and little to no access of medical care. No economic advancements. Many religious expressions, but also many cults, many false teachers, and very little gospel momentum. These are the urban realities. This, this, this is the reality that we are attempting to train men and women to do ministry in. But with so many difficulties, so many, so many challenges, it is easy to get overwhelmed and distracted. Again, I've been doing this for 20 years. I started in a little storefront church, 19 years old, didn't know nothing. Had Moses in the lion's den. <laughs> I had Jeremiah part in the Red Sea. They let me do anything. I didn't know nothing. <laughs> but I still count those years. <laughs> But I've been doing ministry in urban context for 20 years now, and I often feel like not only a pastor, but a guidance counselor, a parole officer, an education placement specialist, a big brother, a mediator, a mentor, a father figure. You wear many hats. There are teens in my church who call me dad and pops because I'm the only father that they ever had. So there's a major tension. Again, there's a major tension that persists. How do we stay uh, focused on Jesus? How do we stay Christ-centered, but still uh, not ignoring the glaring needs of the people that we serve? There are many unique challenges in the hood. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. I do all of these things because I want you to come to know and follow Jesus, not just have a good job, not just have a good life. Unfortunately, many urban church planners and pastors lose gospel momentum because their role as the gospel herald becomes secondary. So many church planners I encounter get sidetracked, get derailed, doing good things, but forgetting their number one job is to be a gospel her herald, 
Despite the social, the economic, the the physical needs we see in the hood, the main thing is for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The number one thing someone who's living in Detroit needs is the eternal hope that only can be found in Jesus. Other things are important, but they're all secondary to Christ. The main issue, one of the things that is the hardest is the people that who live in Detroit, the people who live in Providence, people who live in Central Falls, that they are under the tyranny of the immediate, the tyranny of the immediate. What does that mean? They they lack money, broken schools, broken homes, collateral damages of being in generational poverty. And they live in survival mode. This is their life. I grew up as a, uh, my mother was a, a single mother. My father was a heroin addict. My mother lived in survival mode, working two jobs. Live in survival mode. Not enough money, never enough money. Unstable living, unstable schools. When you live in survival mode, you often only acknowledge God when tragedy strikes. It's difficult for someone drowning in poverty, drowning in addiction, drowning in abuse, drowning in trauma, drowning in pain. It's it's hard for them to see Jesus as the life raft. Their circumstances are so overwhelming. It's the tyranny of the immediate. In the midst of their pain, it's hard for them to see eternity because they are living in hell right now. This is why Prosperity gospels, word, faith, teaching, uh, emotionally charged messages. This is why they resonate in poor communities. People look at my church as if we're we're doing something wrong because we don't have several hundred people because the church down the street has several hundred people in multiple campuses because they have an encouraging word. A powerful, impactful word, a word to help you get your week started. They prey on the poor. They prey on the poor. These false teachings, these these emotionally manipulative messages, prosperity gospel, word, faith, what have you. They present uh, um, they present financial security as salvation. They present finding the right spouse, finding the right job, finding the right fill in the blank, finding the right finding your purpose, finding the right earthly uh, circumstances. That's the gospel. And they present that as salvation other than the Lord Jesus Christ. As churches in the inner city, we, we should be benevolent. We, we should be generous toward the poor. Um, that's in scripture. However, the task of the church is to get people into the kingdom of God, not to get them into financial security. Yes, we serve, we bless, we teach stewardship, all these things. But the greatest need for every human on earth is salvation in Jesus Christ. And he is the greatest gift. I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and equipping the saints for ministry, raising church planners, raising church planning families, raising church planning teams. We stress the gospel is the answer. And it's a matter of life and death. We can do many good things and we we can do many good charitable Jesus-y things. But we have to keep the gospel first and foremost. 
Paul went in first, in, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter one, verse 28 says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen to this. Paul said, we, we preach the gospel. We proclaim Jesus. We warn, we teach because our job is to present them mature in Jesus Christ. Our job is to see them go from spiritual death to spiritual life, to spiritual uh, fruitfulness, to spiritual multiplication. That is the journey every Christian should be on. And that only comes through the gospel. The gospel doesn't just save, the gospel matures. The gospel sanctifies, it sharpens, it equips. The message of Jesus is not only primary school, but it's your PhD. You never outgrow the gospel. We proclaim him. We proclaim a sinless Messiah sent from heaven. We proclaim him. We proclaim the Lord Jesus who bore all of our sins on the cross. We proclaim that the son of God was temporarily separated from the father. So we would not have to be eternally separated from him. And we proclaim that he got up on the third day. This is what we need. This is the life change. And guess what? Can I just say this? It's slow. This is a slow work. This takes time. This isn't sexy. It's not sizzle. You're not going to attract all of the people. You're not going to attract the masses. You're not going to get the mass attention. But we're not called to that. We're called to be faithful. One of my mentors always says, you be faithful and leave fruitfulness up to God. Our job is to be faithful, not to be fruitful. We can't make the fruit bear. All we can do is plant and water and leave the results to him. So again, first, we, we are, are, are gospel-centered. We're not salesmen. Secondly, that's the message. Secondly, we want to talk about the, 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 the methodology or the character, Holy Spirit-led humility. While his for the, my first point points to the message, the second one, the character of the messenger. Paul draws a, a clear distinction between himself and the other teachers. Again, there's there's not only false teachers, but there are some worldly philosophers. While others spirit, uh, uh, specialized in the, the, the uh, human wisdom and skillful delivery, Paul says, I came in humility, I came in weakness, and I came relying on the spirit, and I came with one message, Jesus and him crucified. While the Greco-Roman world, this, uh, the, the philosophers were elevated and celebrated, and false teachers had also crept into the church. They, they were leaning on their skill. They were leaning on their ingenuity. They were leaning on their gifting. Paul said, came with the spirit and I came with a message. Again, this is a slow work. (laughs) This is why we call this church planting, not church microwave popcorn. (laughs) We're trying to plant redwood trees. My my job is, and my goal is to plant a tree that is going to last forever that my great grandchildren will go to. Not plant a dandelion that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's a slow work. Paul says, I came under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not leaning on my gift. And if anybody who could have went toe to toe, anybody who who was an intellectual, a a, a theological giant and genius, it was Paul. He could have he could have went there. 
I depended on the spirit. I was leaning on the spirit. Paul is not saying we should not attempt to be good communicators. Paul is not saying we shouldn't use our God-given gifts. That's not what he's saying. His point is that we embrace our human weakness. We embrace our frailty. We walk in humility and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because it is the work of the spirit that brings people to Jesus Christ, not us. All we are is the messengers. The Holy Spirit softens the heart. The Holy Spirit opens blinded eyes to bring them to repentance in Jesus. It is God's super (laughs) covering our natural to bring people to saving faith in Jesus. Paul knew that his power was in his power not his performance. Again, the power was in his power. The power was in the indwelling Holy Spirit, relying on the message and relying on the power, not his performance. Paul could walk in humility. He can walk in his human frailty because he was well aware that the the, the strength of the spirit was more than sufficient Sadly, many church planners in the urban context focus more on being an influencer. I hate that word. (laughs) We want to be influencers. We want to trend. We want to draw a crowd, either a physical crowd or a a social media virtual crowd. We want to draw a crowd instead of realizing me walking in humility, me walking in holiness, me walking uh, uh, closely to Jesus is the greatest gift I can give my people. Me, me uh, uh, working hard, toiling in the word and presenting it all to God and saying, spirit, if you don't blow on this, nobody's going to receive it. Spirit, if you don't move, hearts won't be changed. Spirit, if you don't move, repentance won't happen. Spirit, if you don't move, ain't nobody going to get saved. It ain't me, it's you. My fear is we're training in training in platforming men who desire the platform and desire the prominence and to uh, uh, elevate gifting more than godly humility. Again, I've been at it in Detroit for 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 15 years before my church planted and, and five years. I wish I could tell you I've seen hundreds of people come to Jesus. I wish I could tell you there's been hundreds of baptisms. I've been to more funerals than weddings. I've performed more funerals than weddings. I've been to the courthouse more than I've been to (laughs) uh, 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 the, the other nice places in the suburbs. I've seen the damage. I've seen the brokenness. I've experienced it. We walk in humility. We walk under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit because the platform and the prominence don't drive people to Jesus. Drive people to you. You you create a cult of personality, but there's no transformation in that. Brothers and sisters, this is why I'm a huge proponent of what you guys are doing here. I'm a huge proponent of pastoral residencies and building teams slowly 
friend and mentor Doug Logan always talks about the crockpot ministry, mentoring would-be pastors and would-be teams and, 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 and the family mentoring slowly because we want to see the inward development. We want to see you grow in humility. We want to see you uh, grow in your dependence of the spirit, not your gifting. The end goal is to, to deploy gospel-centered, spirit-led, humble men and women to serve the church of Jesus Christ. What would it look like? What would it look like if, if we, as, as a, a, a global, local, as, as local churches and a global church, what, what would it look like if we were intentional about discipling and training unimpressive but spirit-led service of Jesus Christ? Unimpressive, everyday people walking in the power of the Spirit, leaning and depending on the Spirit, embracing their limitations, embracing their, their, their human frailty, but with the message of Jesus. I think the world would look different. I, I think that's an attractive church. A church filled with people who are unimpressive and unimpressed with each other other than the Jesus that lives inside of us. That's an impressive church. That's an attractional church. I think that would attract people. Broken people would see uh, broken Christians. Broken people on the outside would see broken Christians walking in love, walking in humility, but walking in the power of the spirit. That's an attractional church. We pray. Father, we thank you for this simple but profound, mind-boggling message that you have given us, the the message that you sent your son, that that God, uh, the son of God, the God-man came to earth and died in our place for our sins to reconcile us, to adopt us. A simple but mind-blowing message. You have given us your message and you have given us your spirit. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. You've given us everything we need for ministry, for church planting, for discipleship, for training, for equipping the saints. You've given us your word and you have given us your spirits. Father, forgive us for looking outside of that. Forgive us for thinking it's in our swag, it's in our sexiness, it's in our sizzle, it's in what we can piece together. Forgive us for relying on that. Father, we pray that you do a work here in New England. Pray for revival here in New England. Lord, we pray that you do a work that can only be attributed to you. That you move in such a way that you draw tens of thousands of men, women, and children to yourself. And we will give you all of the glory because only you can do it. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 